I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx. And you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Muses Podcast. Hi, Lynx. Hi, Shanti. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah. What about you? I'm doing pretty good as well. It's It's been quite a week, and I'm real excited about all this new merch that you have up for us. <laughs> yes, finally, after... How many years of this podcast being a podcast? We've never had merch before, and today is the day. I mean, I put it up last night, and we'll link it up, of course, but it's such a nice website. Like, I mean, not website, but like where you get your merch, because you can get t-shirts and hoodies and stickers and pins and phone cases, like everything. And then the default colors that I chose are really bright and really happy and I think really muses. But then you can go in and you can pick whatever color you want if you want a t-shirt or, you know, phone case or whatever. So much selection there. And yeah, I love everything that you put up. I hope everyone else does as well. We've been getting a lot of really nice comments and everything. So yeah, I'm so excited about that. And of course, we if you buy some merch, please send us a picture of you wearing it. We would love to put you up on, you know, on Instagram or a website or whatever. Or if you don't want to be up, if you don't want your, your face up, just send it to us so we can see. Yeah, I would love to see everyone wearing their merch. 
Yeah, and we'll just say, if you want to jump directly to the episode, if you want to hear uh, about the ladies that we're going to be talking today, just check the show notes and we're going to have some timestamps there. So if you don't want to hear us chat, and today is just going to be pretty brief, just jump ahead, find the um, timestamps in the show notes. What else we got, Links? Well, we recently caught up with the ladies over at Keeping It Casual podcast, and that was a ton of fun. They're based in Las Vegas, and we love them so much. If you guys haven't checked them out yet, go and do that now. They are a riot. Yeah, they have like a relationship, sex, and dating podcast. So, you know, it's a place for us to talk about our relationships a little bit, which we don't do that often on the show because we usually just jump right into who we're talking about and keep the discussion on them for the most part, I'd say. So this was kind of fun to get a little bit personal and have some laughs. And you can head over to Keeping It Casual on all those podcasting platforms and we're like their second last episode that they did. So if you want more of us and some new great people head over and I think you'll get a kick out of MJ and Brie. We just wanted to let people know that we are back up and ready to go on every platform you can imagine. What do we got there Shanti? (laughs) Spotify, Google, Stitcher. We're up on everything now so wherever you prefer to check out your podcast go and find us there and follow us and keep supporting us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah so I think that's that's about it. All right, so this is another one of those fun episodes where I'm going to present somebody and you're going to present somebody. Mm-hmm. So I think the what they have in common is fairly obvious <laughs> since they share a last name. We're going to be talking about Jean and Chrissy Shrimpton. That's right. I really have always loved both of these women and they're both muses in different ways and they were such a big part of the 60s image especially Jean what a beauty and I'm excited to hear her story from you yeah so we decided uh I took Jean and Lynx took Chrissy and we figured since Jean is the older sister Jean will go first let's hear it oh okay so just right out of the gate Jean Shrimpton is known as the world's first supermodel she was a defining face of the 60s and swinging London and she was an accidental co-inventor of the miniskirt yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the places where I got my information was an interview in the Guardian from 2011 a website called crfashionbook.com and Wikipedia All right, so Jean was born in Buckinghamshire, which is in England, on a farm (laughs) on November 7th, 1942. That makes her a Scorpio, and based on what I've read about her, what a Scorpio she truly is. She spent her childhood among sprawling nature and among animals. She was passionate about her animals and says, My upbringing was very rural. To this day, I can remember Danny, a black Labrador we owned. He was trained by my father to collect eggs and bring them to the kitchen. (laughs) That's cute. So she was, yeah, so she didn't grow up in the city. She didn't come from, you know, parents in the industry. So her story of how she got into it is quite interesting. And she was kind of a reserved child, just doing enough to get by in school. So not a great scholar. Gotcha. Just, Just did what she had to do. At 17 years old, Jean enrolled at the Langham Secretarial College in London. So she seemed to not have any real sense of purpose and like who does at 17? (laughs) But Jean wouldn't actually go on to become a secretary or a typist because her life 
changed when she was discovered. The trajectory of her life was changed when she was discovered at a zebra crossing <laughs> by the film director Cy Endfield. Interesting. So I had to Google what zebra crossing was. I thought I had an idea what it was and I was right. In the UK, it's a crosswalk with those thick stripes. Yeah. So think the Abbey Road album cover. So this guy, Cy, thought that she would be a good fit for the film Mysterious Island, but she didn't end up getting the part. And she was quite devastated about that. But Enfield then recommended that she enroll in the Lucy Clayton modeling course. And from then on, she began modeling as a catalog model, which of course led to a shoot for Vogue and so on. At 5'10", okay, actually, I saw this thing today saying, it was like a meme shared by a couple of sisters that I knew, that the older sister is always shorter. But Jean was 5'10". Do you, do you know how tall Chrissy was? I'm not sure, no, but that's interesting. We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to look that up and see if that, if that checks out, that usually the oldest sister is shorter than the younger one. I wonder, yeah. But at 5'10", Jean had a fresh face glow and demure that contrasted her to the aristocratic models of the 60s. She's said to have gamine or gamine style. G-A-M-I-N-E is how she's described, which I understand to be boyish. And so she also helped to kind of define the mod style, bringing a bit more of a glamorous edge to it. Gotcha. She had these big doe eyes, a wayfish figure, hence the name, the shrimp. By the way, she never liked that name. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) So she also had these big pouty lips. Yes, she did. Her style and beauty weren't the only things that got her recognition, though, and it was through her relationships, which we'll discuss. Jean would appear on the covers of popular magazines such as Harper's Bazaar, Vanity Fair, and Vogue. And it was on a shoot for, they think it was Vogue, that she met photographer David Bailey. Mm -hmm. They began an artist-muse relationship that would be pivotal in both of their careers. Bailey was how he introduced himself, says Jean. And that was all I ever called him. So at age 18, she rapidly found herself entwined with the East End boy on the up. He was five years older than her. And she says, we were instantly attracted to each other. He was a larger than life character and still is. There's a force about him. He doesn't give a damn about anything. But he's shrewd too. He made a lot of money out of me. Interesting, yeah. Their relationship would dominate headlines and it would be for both the beauty of the work that they did together as well as their tumultuous relationship. So I didn't find any details about this tumultuous relationship, you know, being about jealousy or like how bad it got, you know. So it's just like their relationship was tumultuous and just like you can use your imagination, I guess, what that kind of relationship would be, you know, with two young people in the 60s who are like on their rise to fame oh yeah probably similar to the story i'll be telling later so okay yeah so jean started to become known in the modeling world around the time that she was working with david so jean has says that she owed bailey her career and he's often credited for discovering her while being influential in her career but this also worked both ways of course because she was his muse and his photographs of her helped him rise to prominence in his early career They would remain together for four years. He was married at the time of meeting Jean, but left his wife to be with her. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. So then something kind of interesting happened. 
David Bailey photographed Jean and actor Terrence Stamp for a fashion magazine. Oh, yeah. Jean and Terrence. Yeah, so you know what's coming. <laughs> Jean and Terrence would meet up again later, beginning a three-year relationship. Wow. Reflecting on the relationship, Shrimpton once said, we were two pretty people wandering around thinking we were important. <laughs> <laughs> and like the ego on me like i would do the same thing do you know what i mean like oh, they yeah. went out to restaurants just to be seen like I, I get that lots of people do that lots of celebrities do that for sure and again you're young and you're beautiful and you're having fun and you're living the life exactly so this ended up getting very boring for her and this is a bit of a i guess foreshadow for later because she would become quite an intellectual in a sense and I guess really wanted and yearned for more than just materialistic, you know, things on the outside. Also, she said that Terrence's otherness was a challenge. Mm. So this led me to believe that he was kind of a hard person to live with, a hard person to be in a relationship with gotcha. and just kind of maybe like wacky and out of the box and almost too much so that it was hard for her to handle. I see. Yeah. So remember I mentioned that Jean accidentally invented the miniskirt? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to give credit to her dressmaker, who in 1965 made Jean some dresses for an appearance in Australia. However, the dressmaker ran out of fabric, which is why Jean's dress ended up above the knee. Wow, that's Hence crazy. the miniskirt. It was because she ran out of fabric. That is so funny. But yeah, I like how they were just like, well, we ran out. So like, wear the dress or or don't. And Jean was like, yeah. She had those legs. So, oh, totally. So the style in which Jean didn't wear any stockings or pantyhose underneath kind of helped catapult the miniskirt revolution because it was kind of scandalous for that time and people hadn't seen that before and like oh my god knees <laughs> bare knees <laughs> you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because Rakuten shoppers do with Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Some accolades that Jean received were World's Highest Paid Model, World's Most Famous Model, World's Most Beautiful Face, Most Beautiful Girl in the World, 
most photographed model, the it girl, the face, and the face of the moment. Wow, yeah, she really dominated the industry at the time. Yeah, no kidding. It's like a lot of pressure. <laughs> really? <laughs> but I wow. like how, yeah, we're going to get to how Jean, like, you know, gave a big F you to, in that sense of like, she didn't really succumb to, to that. So before we get to that, we'll just give you a fun fact. Jean is name checked as Jeannie Shrimpton in the Smithereen song Behind the Wall of, S- the Wall of Sleep, which came out in 1986. So she was amused to a band who wrote a song about her. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. In 1967, Jean starred next to Paul Jones in the film Privilege and was in a short independent film in the 1970s called Double Pisces, Scorpio Rising. Cool. At the peak of her stardom, Jean used her platform to advocate for social justice. She signed a book of protest against against British participation in the Nigeria-Bafrin War in the midst of a 48-hour fast. So continuing her humanitarian spirit, Shrimpton modeled a selection of pieces to be auctioned to benefit children, including John Lennon's cigarette holder. Cool. Moving from the 60s to 70s, her modeling career easily transitioned into the 70s because she had a free spirit aesthetic, long legs, wore flowy dresses, and wore minimal makeup. Her early 70s work was very colorful and very explorative. So if you see pictures of Jean in that time, they're just lots of beautiful colors and the fashions are a little bit, yeah, they're interesting, explorative. Jean retired from modeling at the age of 30. Wow. But, you know, but why? You know, her reasons seem legit. This is what she says. Fashion is full of dark, troubled people. It's a high-pressured environment that takes its toll and burns people out. Very true. Very true. And yeah, if you know that it's a toxic environment for you, it's good that she got out when she did. Absolutely. Jean kind of disappeared and became a recluse when she retired. In most recent interviews, she seems very unenthusiastic about her time spent modeling. Even though she was considered a revelation in the model industry, she just shrugs. She shrugs her shoulders and says, that was my job. She was able to turn it on and off effortlessly. And a lot of her, a lot of people who have photographed her have kind of said the same thing. It was like she flipped a switch and she was on and she just knew what to do. She instinctually knew how to pose. She was just born to be this model. Yep. So when I said that she yearned for something a little bit more, this part of her really ignited in the couple of relationships that she had after uh, retiring. And so she had relationships with poets and an older man that introduced her to museums and art. She was also approached by men such as Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson, (laughs) and she traveled the world, but she, you know, despite all of those things, she was still ready to retire and put that kind of lifestyle behind her. Who didn't get approached by Warren Beatty at that time? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) So what did she do? Do you know? Do you know no, what happened after? I don't. Oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. So she moved to Cornwall and opened an antique shop and you know what? I'm not even going to say the name. Uh, I'm going to Marazion away from the public eye. She explored her own interests in black and white photography. Her subjects mainly included Cornwall residents and animals and have never been exhibited in a gallery 
and she has no intention of ever exhibiting them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's nice. Like, she does it for fun. Yeah, she's kind of a badass, you know? One photo that Jean took was of Susan Clayton, who was then a waitress at the Abbey Hotel. This will come into play in a moment. Jean met a man named Michael Cox, with whom she'd marry in 1979. They had a son. And together, they would buy the Abbey Hotel, which would become a labor of love that she would work on for the next 40 years. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Wow, I had no idea. In 1992, Jean did release an autobiography with a ghostwriter called Jean Shrimpton, an autobiography. But she says that she only did it because she needed the money for the Abbey. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You can find her book online for $90. Oof. Out of print, yeah, I guess. it's one of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Jean, no surprise, doesn't miss her modeling days and doesn't regret retiring when she did. She says, I don't live my life through the prism of the past. Jean, her husband, and the Abbey made an appearance on the television show Country House Rescue in 2011 because it needed a new roof. So this quote from the Guardian article says, Shrimpton traveled the world for a decade, enjoyed a life of luxury, and appeared so often on the covers of the likes of Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Vanity Fair, Time, and Glamour, that she, more than any other model of the 60s, can lay claim to having been the world's first supermodel. And now, aged 68, and despite, as she puts it, having done precisely nothing to preserve her looks, her face is still remarkable. High cheekbones, retroussé nose, arched eyebrows above large dramatic eyes, and a body as willowy as it was in her heyday. Shrimpton is adamant. I never liked being photographed. I just happened to be good at it. Wow, what a badass. There's a film called We'll Take Manhattan that came out in 2012. It's a British television film that tells the story of the extramarital affair between photographer David Bailey and the model Jean Shrimpton, of course, and their one-week photographic assignment in New York City for Vogue in 1962. Based on what we've learned about Jean so far, you won't be surprised that she was very meh about its creation. (laughs) Karen Gillan who played Jean, however, was very enthusiastic about playing someone who had such an impact on the fashion world. I watched the trailer and it looks all right. Have you seen it? I have seen it and it's cute. You know, it's like what you expect in a TV movie. It's delightful and it was fun seeing their story. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the little story of Jean Shrimpton, the older sister, older sister, the older (laughs) sister to Chrissy Shrimpton. That was great. I did not know so much of that, especially like the miniskirt thing. And it's actually really interesting because Chrissy's story, they're very similar. They are very similar. They're sisters. They have the same kind of mindset about all of that. So... I'll get into that in a minute. I just wanted to say great job with that. Thank you so much. And through all of my little bits of research on Jean, Chrissy didn't come up a whole lot. Interesting. So I'm really looking. So I know virtually nothing about her. So perfect. Let's do it. Chrissy was more private than Jean was even. So there's not that much. How can you even get more private than that? Well, I feel like this story will probably tell why she loves her privacy so much. So okay, great. I'll, I'll get into it. So 
Chrissy Shrimpton was born July 15th, 1945. I do want to say most of this especially the quotes come from an interview that Chrissy did with Philip Norman, who wrote the book Mick Jagger. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. One of the few times she's actually talked about their relationship and everything. So you went into a little bit about their childhood and where they grew up and everything. Chrissy was a bit of a firecracker growing up. Like Jean, she had that private education, like out in the country kind of thing, but she was really a wild child. And at 14, she actually got kicked out of her convent school. You know, it's not usually the firstborn who is that wild child. I believe that it's, you know, can be like a middle or the youngest child that is a little bit more of the rebellious one. That makes sense for sure. You're right. Just like her sister Jean, when Chrissy was 17 years old, she was going to secretary school. She worked as a secretary in Covent Garden. And it was then when she was 17 that she met 19-year-old Mick Jagger. He was still in school at the time. Yeah. I love hearing the stories about romances when the band is just forming. Yes. So yeah, they were just about a year into their formation. They weren't famous yet. It was 1963. They were playing at a club called the Ricky Tick Club, and (laughs) Chrissy happened to be there, and she did one of the coolest groupie moves ever. What did she do? So she was at the back of the club. She wanted to get up to the front, so she stood on a table and with the help of the audience, basically crowd surfed to the front until she was face to face with Mick Jagger, and then (gasps) she laid a big one on those beautiful lips in front of everyone. That is the coolest move I've ever heard. Way to get someone's attention. Yeah, so great. So Jagger was like absolutely starry eyed. And apparently he would continually propose to her like within weeks of them getting together and over the course of their relationship. So like Linda, Keith and Keith Richards, Chrissy and Mick were each other's first loves. She was the first girl that he took home to meet the parents, the first one she really or he really felt serious about. And the Stones were also moving very fast. They found their first manager, Andrew Lug Oldham. Mm -hmm. And in a 2012 interview with the Daily Mail, Chrissy shared how, you know, the world hadn't yet discovered the beauty of Mick Jagger, which is just wild to me. She says... My sister Jean at the time was going around with a lot of Debbie Vogue types. I used to hear them whispering, poor Chrissy, her boyfriend is so ugly. (laughs) (laughs) She recalls this one time, Mick would often come and meet her for lunch when she was working in Covent Garden. And one time they were walking through the market and someone actually threw a head of cabbage at Mick Jagger and yelled, you ugly fucker. (laughs) (laughs) It was wild. So that was all about to change that summer, though, because the Stones made a TV appearance on the show Ready, Steady, Go. And basically, in a flash, they went from nobodies to, you know, someone. And media really loved them as a couple. Similar vibes to Jean and Bailey in the sense that they were both relatively unknown and then their relationship helped the other one grow and thrive. Absolutely. 
Chrissy was also a model like Jean. I'm pretty sure she didn't really enjoy it either. It was just sort of something she did here and there because I guess the opportunities came to her and, you know, why not give it a go type of thing. But it definitely like Jean wasn't some great passion in her life or anything. Kind of like Patty and Jenny Boyd style. Yes. Chrissy recalls when Mick first started getting famous that their attitude of the kids on the street really changed toward them too. She said, we'd be walking down the street and suddenly he'd see some stone fans. My hand would suddenly be dropped and he'd be walking ahead on his own. The fans used to attack me and throw things at me, which was often really Mm -hmm. frightening. I can remember being in cars and having to hold the roof up because the girls were piling onto it and we thought we were going to be crushed. I guess like sort of like Beatlemania there where the fans would just go really wild on them. It's exactly what I thought. It made me think of Maureen, who when she was dating Ringo, people tried to hurt her. I know. It's crazy. It's so I I can't even imagine like the terror that they must have felt. While Chrissy did have that wild streak in her, she was also kind of old school and conventional and really always saw their relationship as something long term that was headed toward marriage and kids. And that was, you know, the type of life that she wanted. Mm -hmm. She said, as far as I was concerned, it was total love and I'd be with him for the rest of my life. I hated all the fan hysteria stuff and I wasn't interested in running around the clubs and everything rock chicks are supposed to do. All I wanted was to have babies and be normal. Mm-hmm. So even though it's And pretty- that's okay. Yeah. That's what you want to do. Exactly. But it's pretty obvious they wanted different things. That didn't stop them from getting engaged, though, and they went looking for houses. And when they finally found a place that and moved in together, that's when Mick told her, look, I don't actually want to get married right now. I just want to live together for now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, this was very stressful for Chrissy because her family was super conventional as well. And her father had basically warned her that if she lived in sin, as the saying goes, that she would be an embarrassment to the family and not welcome home. And Mm. since the Stones were beginning to break their career, Mick was often gone touring and she was alone a lot of the time anyways. I thought that might explain the insane collection of pets they apparently had, which included a dog, (laughs) six cats, and three birds. That's too many cats. Too many cats. That's about three to four cats too many. Yeah. When Mick would be on tour, Chrissy, Chrissy knew that he was probably, you know, having some fun. And upon reflection of Mick's infidelities, Chrissy has said, I think I only knew he was unfaithful to me about two or three times, though there must have been many more times I didn't find out. When I did, he would be so regretful. If you're wondering why she put up with it, remember there was still a balance there where, you know, at the beginning when he was touring, he was constantly selling, sending her telegrams and hundreds of letters and good comes with bad and bad comes with good. So sure. And they're young as hell. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. While Mick was living it up, he made damn sure that Chrissy wasn't. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. (laughs) She says, when I was first with Mick, I wasn't allowed to look at anyone else or even be friends with girls he considered tarts. (gasps) Yeah. She also shared that Mick would pay her bar bills, but only on the condition 
that she returned home when he requested. He would actually call the clubs that she was at while he was on tour and tell her, like, it's time to go home now. And then he would call her at home to make sure she had actually left. Okay, psycho. Yeah, super controlling. So their relationship actually lasted three years. And of course, by that point, things were getting, you know, things were going pretty south. It's said that while the Stones were getting famous and Anita Pallenberg entered the picture, that Nick kind of felt that he needed a glamorous upgrade of a girlfriend to go with his new glamorous rock star lifestyle. And I mean, as much as I hate that, is that, is it, was he wrong? Well, this is, of course, where Marianne Faithful enters the picture. Right. And yeah. we love her. We love her. So. so unfortunately, though, that was an affair behind Chrissy's back at first. Mick and Chrissy were supposed to go on winter holiday that December, but Mick didn't show up. And she says, I remember thinking he doesn't want me and I can't live without him. So she was alone at home in their flat and she ended up taking an overdose of sleeping pills. No. Yeah. She said, it wasn't just attention seeking or a cry for help. I really wanted to die. I thought my life was over. When she woke up in the hospital, she says, no one seemed to really care about her mental health and everyone was more concerned with like hushing up the suicide attempt so that the press wouldn't have a field day. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. They sent her to a private clinic without her consent, and that clinic worked on some sort of sleep therapy, and she says that every time she would come to, a nurse would be there to, like, shoot her up with more drugs to put her to sleep, and the whole experience was very frightening and scarring for her. Aww. It wasn't until this moment that she reconnected with her parents, who came to get her at the clinic and take her home with them. It was while she was recuperating with them that she learned about Mick and Marianne and that they were a couple, not from him, but from the newspaper. Yep. So when she had the courage to go back to their flat, she found that Mick had changed all the locks and she had to phone the Stone's office and make an appointment to be allowed back in her home. Rude. She says for the next few months, while everyone thought Mick had completely written her off for Marianne, She says that he would often still come by her house wanting to sleep with her, and she really still loved him and always caved in, even though she says that if they ran across each other in public, he would ignore her completely. Sounds like a really nice guy. Right? And this went on for about a year after their split, so I guess he was cheating on Marianne at that point as well, too. Yeah. After she finally let go of Mick, Chrissy went on to date Steve Marriott of the Small Faces for a short time before she exited the public eye, the music scene, all of that completely. She ended up getting married and having two children. She also studied sociology for a time, saying that she hoped it would help her kind of make sense of her experiences in the 60s. So as I mentioned, Chrissy really values her privacy. And all I can really find out about her now is that she still lives in England. She has grandkids now. She probably hangs out at the Abbey Hotel. Her and her sister. They probably have like 14 cats. I bet. I bet. Yeah. She probably is still gorgeous despite not doing anything. (laughs) What What was the quote from mine? Having done precisely nothing to preserve (laughs) her looks, her face is still remarkable. I bet same thing with Chrissy. 
I wanted to end this by talking about some of the songs that Chrissy inspired. They're all completely misogynistic. 19th Nervous Breakdown was inspired by her. Mick recounts the first time that they did acid together and she had a really bad trip. Not her um, fault. Nope. <laughs> and honestly, pretty much every hurtful song from their album Aftermath is also about Chrissy. I'm going to say some of the lyrics because I'm not going to play them or sing them to you. You're welcome. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have Under My Thumb. Under My Thumb, her eyes are just kept to herself. Under My Thumb, while well, I can still look at someone else. Ugh, jerk. The song Stupid Girl is about her. Well, I'm sick and tired and I really have my doubts. I've tried and I tried, but it never works out. Like a lady in waiting to a virgin queen. Look at that stupid girl. She bitches about things she's never seen. Look at that stupid girl. It doesn't matter if she dyes her hair or the color of her shoes that she wears. She's the worst thing in this world. Look at that stupid girl. Sounds like it was written by an eight-year-old. <laughs> this sounds like something my brother would write about me when we were kids. <laughs> Yep. Although he he didn't, although my brother didn't write anything like that about me because he had more mental maturity than, <laughs> than Mick. Yeah, than Mick Jagger at twenty one years old. The song "Out of Time" is also about her. The lyrics: "You're obsolete, my baby, my poor old fashioned baby." He was just awful. When she began dating Steve Marriott, Mick Jagger penned "Yesterday's Papers" for their next album. Some of those lyrics, living in a life of constant change, every day means the turn of a page. Yesterday's papers are such bad news. Same thing applies to me and you. Who wants yesterday's papers? Who wants yesterday's girl? Who wants yesterday's paper? Nobody in the world. When they released Aftermath, it was quite a difficult time for Chrissy because obviously so many of these songs are cruel and scathing and because they were such a big media couple, it wasn't difficult for fans to realize who they were written about. Right. She actually ended up confronting Mick in public at a party that Guinness heir Tara Brown was hosting. Hey! Yeah, for those who don't know Tara's story, check out episode 101. So good. That was a good one. The last song I'll mention that Chrissy inspired was actually one that Steve Marriott wrote. The Small Faces song, Talk to You, which is a great song. I guess he had more feelings for Chrissy than she did because some of the lyrics in that one is, all I want to do is talk to you. I got to talk to you. I got to try to make you see just how very much you mean to me. So a little nicer. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds like Chrissy knew what was best for her and like Jean just did not want to be part of that lifestyle anymore. And she seems to hold no grudges. I'm pretty sure I read that she was basically saying like, you know, we were young, it was such a unique circumstance, things happen. So she has a good attitude about it now, but she really did, you know, suffer at the end there. And it is quite shocking when you read those lyrics back. Like, I've known those songs all my life and I've never really thought too deeply on, you know, the fact that there was probably a woman behind it and, you know, what that do to her. Yeah, they just sound like a bop. And then you, you read the lyrics and you're like, oh, that's a person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, what an asshole Mick Jagger was when he was young. Jesus. I mean, a part of me in my mind is like wanting to like a part of me is like, yeah, but also like he was young. And what is this new fame of his? And wouldn't we do the same if we But like, whatever, like I'm staying neutral. I like them both. <laughs> 
so yeah, that's Chrissy's story and Jean's. And it sounds like they're both very down to earth people who just kind of got swept up into the public life kind of by accident. That's fantastic. I love doing these things, like I, these kinds of episodes. I know, me too. It's fun. Now, I'm wondering if, like the Boyd sisters, if there are many photographs of Jean and Chrissy together. That's interesting. You know, I can't think of that many that I've seen. I can think of plenty of Jean ones, plenty of Chrissy ones. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are some, but no, not like, I don't know if they were constantly hanging out together back then or busy doing their own thing. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to... I'm looking now. I don't see a ton. And the ones that I am seeing, I can't tell if it actually really is them together. So yeah, fantastic. So she's only three years younger than Jean. So I could see them totally hanging out. True. And doing things together. It's not a huge age gap there. Fantastic. Thanks, Lynx. Very well done. Well, you're welcome. I hope everyone enjoyed these as much as we enjoy making them. Yeah, me too. Hey, I wanted to mention to you and everybody who's listening, because why not? Uh, somebody messaged me or they messaged us on Instagram and they said that they couldn't find episodes one to ten. That's because I deleted them, my friends. You know what? I figured it was time. Links isn't on those episodes. The production quality is poor at best. So I figured I'd just take them off and Links and I, that'll give us the opportunity to re-record those women now that we have a greater understanding and I did a couple of like heavy hitters right off the bat so that way we can go back and we can redo Catherine James and Teresa Tana and 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 give them give them the episodes that they deserve yeah I'm looking forward to discussing those women with you because yeah we didn't get the opportunity to and you covered some really great ones at the beginning so that'll be fun yes and we're older and we're wiser We've seen a few things, (laughs) and now we'll be able to bring this perspective to these amazing women. While we're still doing Patreon, check us out there, uh, patreon.com slash musespodcast for $5 a month. You can get access to a whole bunch of bonus audio and video. That's right. Yeah, keep supporting us. We're on all the socials. We just started a TikTok, so if you're on that, check out musespod over there. Yep. Sign up for the newsletter. I'm putting those out a couple times a month. We are doing it. Thank you so much, Lynx. Thank you. And we'll see you guys later. Next week. See you next week. Bye. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantella Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But 
wait. The excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.